This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You with Reality Check Radio. It's uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, oh, send me a text. And you're going to want to send me a text after this next interview. 2057, send a text or send me an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. I'd get you to send me a letter and put it in the post box, but I don't have one. I don't even know how letters work anymore. So it's texts and emails. And I love this next guest, and you're going to love her too. And she's covering an area that has bewildered me, and I just have given up. And that's all this VAERS and CALM and those databases that report adverse events, and we're going to understand a bit of that. And we're going to have a lovely, lovely conversation with Kathy Jameson. Good morning. Good morning, Rodney. Oh, you're so sweet. We, I got to say, we talked a little bit off air, and uh, I've just been telling Kathy she's the spitting image of my mother, and looks and personality from 40 years ago. And so we're getting on like a house on fire. So I hope it doesn't overwhelm the interview. But <laughs> tell me this. Yes. How did you get into all this? research that you've done because you've sent a little bit through to me and oh my goodness it is amazing and I can't even say I fully grasp it that's why I had to get you on but how did you get into doing this intricate research and finding out all the stuff um well uh, by by sort of accident I guess because I mean if we all cast our mind back to sort of January 2020, we kind of knew something really big was coming, mm-hmm. didn't we? We didn't quite we did. know what, but um, and so I, you know, I've always kind of come out to meet things, I suppose, and so I got really into learning about the disease and the the developing treatments for the disease and I, I followed that vitamin d ivermectin zinc quercetin kind of protocol and did the you pe- do your own research mm, bad eh? yeah. did <laughs> on, you? The, on the interweb <laughs> oh my god oh yeah. my god yeah. no wonder you're down a hole anyway yeah. so um, you you got into this and is that typical of you are you sort of a sort of person you said you like to meet things head on is it also typical of you that you get your teeth into things because you really i I do i do really sunk your teeth into this yeah i I do get my teeth into things particularly if i you get a sense sometimes hey Hmm. you get a sense i've never i've never sort of got my teeth into anything like this before in terms of medical things that I just always kind of accepted but other Mm. things yes so back in the beginning of 2020 you're feeling a sense of unease a sense of foreboding like many of us felt something big was happening had questions started to go on to that we jokingly call it the interweb to do your own research, and then what? Well, 
so I, I kind of, you know, there was there was no talk in New Zealand of all those sort of therapeutics and nutraceuticals. And I just thought, oh, well, it will come. You know, it'll. they're just kind of looking at it and it will come. And it it didn't come. And and that was kind of my first, like, what's what's going on? And and then, you know, the, the vaccine started getting developed and we were hearing about that. And there was something in that messaging that also made me feel uneasy and made me ask questions. What was it? Can you put well, your finger it was on it? The, the, an example of it was this talk of, you know, before the rollout even started, before the approvals had happened and before any vaccine arrived on these shores, there was just this really strong messaging about the offer of a vaccine. Yes, because it was like off. we will lock down until the vaccine arrives, wasn't it? And yet you thought, yeah. how do you know a vaccine's going to arrive? They don't just magic up. Yeah, or how, I, I wasn't sort of thinking that. I was thinking so much, well, not everyone's going to have it. No. <laughs> so so this, this sort of offer of a vaccine was being said with this sort of assumption behind it that everyone was going to have it. And mm. so that was kind of what bothered me. And I, I sort of, there was this disconnect between the language and the demeanour, I guess, that mm. made me uneasy. Well, I was at different times also uneasy about the certitude because every step that was taken, and you sort of get this because you can imagine being in a war you can't sort of hesitate and say, mm, I wonder if running over the top is the best idea. No, just go and do it and don't question it. But we had the same thing with this. It was like lockdown, don't question it. And if you had a question, you were an enemy of the state. You know, you were an enemy of the people. And I didn't understand, given that we were clearly in a novel area of policy, you know, locking people down, mandating people, every step, masking people, socially distanced people, all this was extremely novel, but it couldn't be questioned. Mm. Mm. Did you ever follow Plan B? And oh, I love Plan B. Mm. Well, did you watch their symposium that they yes, did? They did, did too, and I only ever watched the second one. And... um you know, I think about this a lot in the context of, you know, employers now saying, oh, well, we had to follow the government because we couldn't do, you know, anything else because we just had to trust what they were saying. Um, because Plan B, for $15 a ticket, and it's actually still up to watch now for nothing, did this amazing symposium in I think it was February of 2021, and they had Byron Bridal and... Um, did they have not Jay the back of Chari, but I, I think they had his the woman. Uh, that, yes, Sunitra. Yes, yes, and so so they had this sort of star-studded cast, and and then Simon Thornley, of course, and then another gentleman from Auckland University um, yes. who does a really sort of interesting. Um, line of study and he's actually written a book called Nudged into Lockdown and all these people have got really really sort of interesting things to say um 
So so there was that. And I also, once the vaccine became sort of looming on the horizon, I thought, right, I'm going to watch these VRBAC committee meetings. Because Gosh, what's that? I've never Well, that's that. the Vaccine and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee of the FDA. So that's America. Yeah. So that's where, when this thing got emergency use authorization in yes. December of 2020, the VRBAC committee hears, like, hears from Pfizer and they decide whether they're going wow. to approve or not. And so I've always, and look, you can say what you like about the US, but my goodness, you know, you can watch those meetings, you can you can speak at them for three minutes. I think probably even I could if I wanted to. And and all their videos of those meetings and all the materials that get submitted to those meetings, anyone can read. So you sitting at home in New Zealand. May I ask, mm. because I'm only interested in the argument, but it's just of interest, do you have a research background? No, I do have a very dusty old mathematics degree. Ah, so I've so kind that... of got, and, and, and the other thing that I, that I find fascinating in terms of where I've ended up with this is when I look back at, because, um, I, you know, I've, I've pretty much took 20 years out to raise children. Um, But when I was working, where I would end up would be where words and numbers collide. Yes. So numbers don't scare you? No. No. So um, that's perfect because that just explains that because um, I was looking at your work and thinking this is a numbers lady, um, which I'm a numbers person not as good as you, I have to say, and I don't have your level of commitment. So you were sitting at home watching, what were they again? The verb? Well, this is how I say it in my head. I don't know how you say it. I've never heard it said, actually, by anyone. But I say verbac. It's so Vaccine and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. And you were watching that committee have hearings from people about the vaccine at the end of 2020? Yes. I would suspect you're the only person in New Zealand doing that. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm the only person that isn't paid to do it. Yes. (laughs) So you weren't watching this, and did you find it interesting? Well, I found it. What So this was another like, huh? Because, I mean, when you look at the analysis that, you know, Pfizer did in their phase two clinical study, um, I was like, I, they they got to 170 cases, confirmed cases of COVID amongst the vaccinated and the unvaccinated arm. And that seemed to be some, I don't know if that is a number that's commonly accepted to move to the next phase of the study. I don't know. And there was a few sigmas and a few sort of confidence intervals scattered around in the analysis. But when you boil it down, this you've probably heard this before, but this 95% effective was based on primary school mathematics. 162 people in the, unva- uh, in the unvaccinated arm 
of the 170 got COVID and eight in the vaccinated arm got COVID. So you add those two numbers together, you get 170. So if you get your calculator out and go 162 divided by 170, you get 95%. And I just looked at that and I thought, they're going to make billions of doses of this stuff and market it based on that level of primary school mathematics. That, that can't be wrong. That, no, <laughs> no. And so I, I guess, you know, at every point I sort of ask myself, am I prepared to, to hand over our healthcare decisions with this to the public health authorities? And at every point where I thought that, I just thought, no, I'm not. So I'll and, of course, the significance of that also, just explain to me the significance of why you'd go, well, hang on. They had that many times more people get COVID that weren't vaccinated compared to those that were. And that, to most people, including our prime minister and government, and governments all around the world and medical authorities all around the world was utterly convincing because we heard that 95% figure mm. endlessly. But you shake your head and say, what? Explain to me why you would say, what? Yeah, well, you're a very good interviewer because the answer to that question um, is on page 42 they, of the document that they submitted, they had this tiny little paragraph and it said, so those 170 had all had COVID tests to determine, like PCR yeah. tests to determine whether they had COVID. So on page 42, they had this tiny little paragraph that said, you know, 3,400 other participants in the study also clinically looked to have symptoms of COVID but were not tested. And what? when they and when they when they divided up those people into the vaccinated arm and the unvaccinated arm, if they'd done the same and and, and I'm, 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 I didn't do this myself, Byron Bridal said this at the COVID plan B plan B symposium. If they'd done the same analysis on those people, then the vaccine would have shown to be somewhere between 19 and 29% effective. Oh, my goodness. And they needed it to be 50% effective to get emergency use authorization. And there's also some funny other stuff. Which so, so, so when they did the testing and the analysis, what you've just explained to me is just please pull me up because – um, I'm trying to understand this, and the reason I can make quite a good interview is I'm stupider than the average listener, and so I can they can they can follow me. Um, so they had a whole lot of people in these controls who were sick, but they didn't test for COVID. Correct, and they don't explain why. I'm just struggling with it. You're doing this control. Here are all these people sick with COVID-like symptoms, but we'll test these ones over here. 
Yeah, but like from like to be honest, from Pfizer's perspective, they're a pharmaceutical sales company. Yes, you know they've told them that that happened, and they're trying to sell their drug. I'm not defending them. No. In any way, shape, or form. But they've they've said it. It's the job of the regulator to read the documents yes. and notice and ask the questions. I heard a great line through all of this from someone who I can't recall where, because you know how we're all over the interweb doing our own research. And it was a line that stayed with me, where it said that the pharmaceutical industry, their marketing research and psychology is 20 years ahead <laughs> of their actual medical research. And as you say, they're extremely good at the marketing and the psychology of marketing and possibly a little corruption, as we've seen. But their medical research, primary school. Yeah. And well, what you're saying is, you were sitting at home in New Zealand, and I'm not being derogatory, but it's just a great statement. Mother, husband, wife, housewife, saying, dusty old maths degree, saying, that doesn't make sense. Mm. And we can, in a way, forgive Pfizer because they've got billions of dollars in front of their eyes. But the regulators? Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying I forgive Pfizer, but what okay. I'm saying is if you actually look at, you know, a sale, you know, they're a pharmaceutical sales company. They're using every tool they've got to sell their um their pharmaceutical product. So, so um, just just let me get this really clear. The ninety five percent figure was done on a subset of everyone that was in the trial who were tested, and they didn't even test all those in the trial that were sick with COVID like symptoms. That's what page forty two says, and without explanation for why that was done. Correct. And even that is odd because this is the difference, and you can maybe help me with this, between absolute and relative risk. Because um, no, I can't. I can. I can. I can. Yeah. I can do this because <laughs> you're saying of all those that got sick, 5% of them were the vaccinated ones, and 95% were unvaccinated. However, there were some thousands in the trial, and if you looked at your one or the other risks, your risk of getting COVID is quite small, right? And therefore, your risk of getting COVID might have gone from, I'm just making this number up now, 1% to half a percent, if you follow me. So, um, that doesn't matter. I'm confusing even myself. Yeah. But no, I no, get that. No. I, I get that all now. So you saw this. Then what? Well, so then then what? Um, 
So then I I, I, I just sort of kept reading things. Um, like, well, this, I can't find it now, but I remember reading somewhere in one journal or other, because I read lots of medical journals and I watched. Really? Yep. A lot. I watched. Oh, the is the national surveillance data from Israel. That was really interesting. And I so what? And you know how Israel went first. Yes. So, so what they did was they took a snapshot of, um, I think it was six million, six point four million people. Um, I really should have looked at this before I came on, but, but. Oh, so I'll speak at a really high level. So it, it cut off about the 2nd of April, 2021. So I can't remember when it was published. But when it was published and you read the article, um, there was something wrong with that too. Like, so they used this definition of vaccinated and unvaccinated. Oh, is it the time? Yes, with the timing. Mm. So they, so they, and they came out with this ninety-five percent effective conclusion when they looked at the Israeli data again. But one hundred one thousand one hundred and thirteen people died of COVID in the time of the study. But when you sort of looked at the numbers that they had used in the study arms for vaccinated and unvaccinated. The number that died didn't add up to 113. Sorry, 1113. Mm. So I kept reading and reading and reading and looking over and over and over. And I figured out that 23%, I'm just doing this from memory, of the study participants have di- had died of COVID within two weeks of having a COVID vaccine. Mm. And, but because of the definition of, um, or they died testing positive for COVID, I should say. I'll say it like that. Yes. Within two weeks of having a COVID And they vaccine. were declared to be unvaccinated. And, be, well, no, they didn't even include them in the definition of unvaccinated. They just ignored them. Oh, is that what happened? So oh. if you were unvaccinated, you'd had no shots at all. Okay. And if you were vaccinated, then you were 14 days out or seven days out, I can't remember, from your second shot. Got it. And then they had a category which they called partially vaccinated and they did all their mathematical stuff and they came out with, yes, you know, the Israeli national surveillance data says that the vaccine's 95% effective. But they just ignored all of these. So you're sitting they're working all this out, reading this. And then you're watching New Zealand authorities and authorities all around the world, because clearly you're across it on the interweb. (laughs) And you're watching all the politicians Mm. say how wonderful it all is. And it's 95% and it's safe and effective. Mm. And you're realizing that it's based on spurious Analysis. Hmm. How did that hmm. make you feel? Um, oh, interesting question. It made me feel really scared. 
because for the first time in my life, I mean, we all sort of go, oh, you know, I'm for national or I'm for labour or I'm for this or I'm for that. But at the end of the day, you really feel confident in a basic level of government. Yeah. You know? And it made me feel really scared because I um, thought this isn't, this isn't the sort of society that I thought I lived in. Mm. Um, it's very, it's very, very disorienting mm. the f- first time that happens um, to someone. And I had it happen in my life quite early because I watched a policeman lie against mm. my dear father, who was on a, um, it's a small thing. My father was a professional truck driver and he only ever had one accident and it wasn't his fault. And he came home and I was like 12 and we had a camera that would come out once in a blue moon. It didn't even come out every Christmas, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And yet you'd have a film developed after about three years. He says, grab the camera. And I thought, cheapest, this is serious. And we jumped in the car and he took pictures of his truck front bumper bar and he took pictures of the skid marks on the road. And I was a bit astonished by this. And I said, why are we doing all this? And he said, because I don't trust the cops. (laughs) And I thought, what? (laughs) And we were in a small town, right? And like six months later, he's on a charge of dangerous driving. And his trucking company luckily had paid for a lawyer. And my dad had all these pictures. And the sergeant got up, who we knew, and told complete fibs about where the truck was, about where it hit the car, about what had happened, and was consulting his diary like he'd taken notes. And he was just telling untruths. I wouldn't, I don't know why to this day. And my dad's lawyer got up and said, well, here, Mr. Hyde's pictures. And the judge ripped the policeman to bits for lying. And my father was away. And it's it etched in my mind that a, a, a policeman would lie to fit up an innocent man. My father would have lost his livelihood. He, he drove, mm. he was a truck driver his entire life. And of course, I got into the environmental movement and I realized they were liars. Mm. And then I went into parliament, which didn't yeah. help <laughs> my attitude towards authority, right? So I had sort of peered over that cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And knew to question. But like you, I thought I was skeptical, cynical. When this COVID thing happened, that was just a whole nother level. Mm. And I felt just like you. Even then, after my whole life not trusting authority, I was devastated and flabbergasted by it. Mm. And even my dear old party, the ACT Party, just fell into line 
and mm. I'll never forgive them. So it's a strange thing because I know what it's like the first time you peer over and you realize because we live our lives following the rules and thinking that, yeah, I didn't vote for that party in power, but, you know, they're doing their best um, with the best interests of New Zealand and us, they might be wrong on a few things, but they mean well. But you peer over the edge and nothing's quite the same. Mm, so not. that's you had. So I'm sorry to do that diversion, but I know exactly what you mean. And you had it full bore. And mm. I thought I was cynical and skeptical, and it still blew me away, and I haven't recovered. So please, I interrupted you. Carry on. What well, next? Really you realized that they were doing, you realized from the Israeli study, that mm. data was being used spuriously, and then all the authorities around the world were speaking so confidently when the data said no such thing. Mm. So then I guess I had a few months of, you know, conversations with the people around me, and, you know, I have got a bit of a reputation for getting the bit between my teeth with things and you know I'm a one issue person and when something like this comes along um it's all I really want to talk about because you know to me it was the defining issue of our time and this and is then, your this is your quip that you're great fun at parties yeah <laughs> yeah I don't <laughs> so so and then I so I, I guess over the term of those few months you you get that sort of pushback from people when you say but no but look at this and and yeah and I found myself saying no but I I use discerning use of the internet because you get that disparaging sort of yeah. oh you've looked on the internet you know all those cartoons that go around about mm. you know people who are looking on the internet no more than the doctors and scientists and things mm. and and so that I had some sort of an unsuccessful time there. And then I just, so then I thought, well, you know what? There's there's people more learned than me. I'm going to stop reading the studies. I'm going to stop doing that because I've done enough now to convince myself that um, this is not something that I want to have. Um, so I'm going to start looking a little bit closer to home. And so I thought I'll leave all the looking at the studies and things to the people that really know what they're doing. And I just spent a couple of months scanning through all of the OIAs that had been done in New Zealand um, and like that's looking official, on the That's the gathering of official information. Yeah. By citizens. Yeah. So, yeah. Every, so, that, so people if they do those, they often do them through that site FYI or yeah. they post them on FYI. So I just read a lot of what was on there and there's a lot of minutes of all the scientific advisory groups. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I sort of learned about, you know, MedSafe for every medicine they approve as a data sheet. And so I read the data sheet, Pfizer as part of the, um, approval process, had to submit a risk management plan. So I just read all that and 
it, it didn't improve the picture that I had of this disconnect between what was actually happening on a regulatory and advisory level and what we were getting at the sort of advertising agency level, which is what I sort of called Unite Against COVID-19. It was an ad campaign. And just uh, let me understand that. So when you actually read what was written, I imagine what was written and made public was a little cautious and a little more circumspect. And then when it came to the advertising campaign, it was simplistic and certain. That simplicity and certitude wasn't supported by the underlying documents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for example, I mean, MedSafe, you know, we hear, you, you know, and MedSafe don't approve things until they're satisfied they're safe. You know, we hear that yes. from, from a lot of people. Now, MedSafe's definition of safety is, is a really interesting one to sort of understand um, as I understand it um, and look you know with anything here I don't profess to be the expert so if I say anything wrong people should correct me um, but they're def- like so so if Med- MedSafe can say a COVID-19 vaccine is safe it may give you myocarditis and you may even die but if your chances of getting a, a, a an adverse event from the disease itself yes. are higher then by their own definition they can say it's safe doesn't necessarily wow. mean it's riskless but they can say it's safe because their definition is based on a risk benefit analysis which is not how the word safe presents itself in your head no, and it gets worse because through the OIA process, there was a risk-benefit analysis done um, prior to the vaccine rollout, and that came out unclear at the time um, because there was so little information available. So an OIA from August of 2022, um tells us that no risk benefit analysis has been done by no New Zealand agency on the vaccine until that time. Ooh. So I thought, well, how then, if they haven't done a risk benefit analysis, could MedSafe, by their own definition, say it was safe? But I'm not utterly sure that they have been saying that. <laughs> Maybe other people have been saying that. I've been looking for an I'm, I'm letting that hang for a little while. So in your researches, you, you're uncertain whether MedSafe, and safe is in their title, MedSafe, mm. Medical Safety, you can't you're not certain they ever said this was safe, which their idea of safety is a risk-benefit. Well, once I sort of 
put those things together that they'd, what their definition of safety was based on a risk-benefit analysis. And there had been no risk-benefit analysis done by any New Zealand agency um, at that date of that I saw that OIA come out in August 2022, other than one that was done in the early days that was deemed unclear. Then I did, I'd spent a bit of time looking for some thing that, came out of MedSafe that did say it was safe and I didn't find it. And then I probably just sort of something else became a priority and I moved on. So as far as you're aware, you haven't come across it. I'm talking to Sally Jameson. We're going just over this. No, you're not. You're talking to Kathy Jameson. Where did the Sally come from? I don't know. (laughs) I'm talking to Kathy Jameson. Yeah, good call, Kathy. Um. On Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, where we get all the facts right, including people's names. Um, Look, we may be misinformed and we may be missing something. So if we are, we will correct ourselves uh, because Sally slash (laughs) Kathy and I are very interested in discussion and debate and learning. So text us at 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. we're right on everything bar our names. Um, Kathy, not obvious that they made a declaratory statement, this is safe, even in our own terms, which is you could die from it, but on balance it's a good thing to take it, <laughs> which is a pretty funny definition of safety. Yes, this could kill you, but while it might kill you, on balance, you were just unlucky, and most people did better out of it than you. So it's safe. There's probably quite an important definition to make there, Rodney, and I I, I can't say I, I I don't know whether they are talking at a um at a sort of a collective level when they say safe on balance, or whether they're talking at an individual level safe yeah. off balance and that's quite an important definition yes i get what you're saying so it's a difference between what it means for me versus what it means for society at large yeah 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 wow yeah. carry on um um uh, uh, i'm so hesitant now to speak because if i get i can't get kathy right what am i to say <laughs> doesn't kathy, matter i car- actually don't carry mind. on <laughs> no, but um, so I, I do. Shall we talk about excess mortality? I'd like to talk about everything that you've uncovered because, to me, you're very good at explaining it. I can understand it. I've got questions. You're helping me understand this, and I'm loving it. And, you know, hopefully listeners are too. So please, you take us where you'd like to take us. And if you think excess mortality is our next thing, we're there. Mm, well, because you had a guest on, or Paul did. Oh, Mr. Seymour. A week or two ago. Mm, and he made a statement about New Zealand having a sort of a negative excess mortality over the term of the pandemic, which is means that less people have died in New Zealand over the term of the pandemic than you would expect in normal times. Mm-hmm. Right. So what what is needed to be understood and um 
an ex-colleague of yours, I believe, John Gibson, has helped yes. with this. John Gibson so, has done great work. Yeah, I I sort of got onto Our World and Data, and Our World and Data is a really, really good tool. You know, it's very easy to use. And um, excess mortality, uh, there's two baselines. So if you want to know if you've got excess, you need to have a baseline to work from. Yep. Yeah. So there's two baselines that you can choose from when you go into our world and data. And one is an average, um, uses the average of um, the deaths from 2015 through to 2019. Yep. Just a straight average. Now, the other one is a, is a, is a regression model that allows for population growth. Yep. So if if you've got a higher population, you're going to have more deaths, right? Yep. So if you if you use your just average over previous years and you've had a an increase in population, then that's going you're going to have more deaths. So it's yes. going to look like your excess mortality is higher. Yes, got it. So the, with the regression model, um, that gives you a lower excess mortality because they've taken account of population growth. Got it. Yeah? Yep. So when Mr. Seymour says that there's been um, no excess deaths, I checked that. I downloaded all the data out of it and I got rid of all the other countries and I averaged out New Zealand and it was over the term of the pandemic, according to our world and data, it was like an excess death over that whole time of like 0.0004%, so nearly zero, right? And I've been monitoring it for quite a while because the public health authorities have been saying that for quite a while, and I kept thinking, surely that can't be right. And then when you use that baseline, yep, what they're saying is right, when you use that baseline. But what John Gibson is saying is, um, in March of 2020, when uh, prior to that, we'd had signif- uh, you know, a, a, a reliable and significant population growth year on year on year up till then. But in March of 2020, when we shut our borders, that came to an abrupt halt. No more immigration. Yeah, and no more population growth. Mm. So um, if you continue to use that, regression model that assumes the population growth, then your baseline is going to be higher and your Mm -hmm. excess deaths then are going to be smaller. Mm -hmm. So what he can do with his skills is account for that. And when he accounts for that, he says that there has been 4% cumulative 4% excess mortality over the time of the pandemic. So I, I read his paper and I and his, I really um, encourage people to read his, his material because um, he, whilst he is very clever and he's an academic, the, the, what he writes, like the actual text that he writes, is mm. very easily understood. And, in fact, that particular one, you can grab the point by looking at one graph. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the idea he's a he's an economist at Waikato University, and if you Google his name, this report pops up. And essentially, what it is is that 
um, the population was growing steadily. Um, and when immigration stopped, the population stalled. But the regression model assumes that it continues to grow. And so the baseline has a larger population than we actually had. And so the excess deaths are hidden. But if you use the actual population, the excess deaths pop up at 4%. And what's the significance of these excess deaths? Well, I, I I thought about, I read his paper and I thought about it for a while and then I thought, no, I can't do it by myself. So I asked him and um, so so I said, what does that actually mean in terms of excess deaths, actual excess deaths? And he, because you hear, you know, you see people posting numbers on the interweb all the time. Mm. And um, so... He said, well, over the term of the pandemic, I think he said it was about 3,600 excess deaths, which worked out to about three excess deaths a day over the term of the pandemic. But he also then said but that but the excess mortality didn't actually start until November of 2021. So if you average it out per day since then, it's nine extra people per day since then. And, of course, they weren't dying when we were running around scared of COVID. The excess deaths started with the vaccine rollout. Well, according to John, they didn't really start until November of 2021. And you might recall what happened in November of 2021. It was the booster introduction. Ah, the booster did it. Well, we don't know. No, there's a correlation. We can't say. We can only say the excess death started in November of 2021 and um, New Zealanders started getting boosters in November of 2021. That's all we can say at this point. And no one is interested in it apart from us. Like the authorities don't look at this excess deaths and say, well, Gee whiz, this is something we need to look at. Well, they they might be, but they're not sharing any concerns that they have with the New Zealand public, if they are. And Mr Seymour is going, saying there are none. Yeah, so what Mr Seymour, let's hope Mr Seymour listens to that particular part and Mm. takes the time to understand it. Nine deaths a day. Excess deaths a day. Nine extra deaths. Now, have you... On, a, on average, on average. On average, yes. Have we... Is that dropping off now? Do we know? Or is it staying about the same? Or what's happening to excess deaths? That might be a question for somebody more learned than me that you may or may not have worked with in the past. Yes. No, well, I'm <laughs> trying to get John on, but he's had some... His wife's been ill. Yeah. Um, but he is a wonderful, yes, and he and I were economists together long ago. Mm. Uh, he was a good one, and then there was me. Um, he's an excellent, excellent analyst, and he's fearless because he goes where the data goes. Mm. Mm. Um, quest- there's a question on the excess desk. Now, I want to get into, if I may, pause for the name, Kathy. Um, 
I want to get into, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, where was Kathy Jameson, uh, flick us a text 2057 or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. You've also done work on the adverse effects reporting, correct? Yeah, yeah. Is that able to be explained to me? Yeah, I can I can give it a red hot go. Um, so MedSafe uh, issue reports, their yeah. safety reports, and they they have had a special reporting system for the COVID nineteen products, vaccines, mm-hmm. and um, they've they're found on their their website, um, and they started off doing them sort of weekly and. Um, and they added sort of material to them over time in terms of, you know, features that the reports had. And um, then the sort of the interval got larger and larger and larger and that they weren't weekly then, they were fortnightly and then they may have been monthly, I, I can't recall. But it got to the point where they, the last few we got, I think, was sort of two or three months apart. For no reason. Well, no, no, no communicated reason. Mm-hmm. And the last one that was published was um, sort of mid December of last year until recently. The last in the old format that was published was mid November of last year. And um, so that that was sort of a problem in itself, really. Um, well, it's very odd to go from weekly reports to monthly reports to, oh, we're changing the format. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, so until sort of, so in April, I was like, well, when are we going to get another report? Because usually they would have in the table um, where they had all the old ones that you could look at, they'd have when the next one was scheduled to be released and there wasn't anything. Um, what and, were these reports up until November last year telling us? And how? Uh, what, what, what could we conclude safely from those reports up till November? Right, well, so if we, we talk about Report 46, which was the one that came out at the end of November of, oh, sorry, the mid-December of last year, um, it was saying there had been 64,815 reports made. Mm-hmm. And, and a report is, you know, nobody's saying that just because somebody makes a report that the vaccine has caused it. It's just yep. basically a report of something that's happened yep. following a medicine. Yeah. And who makes that report? Uh, well, anybody can make it, um, and there's been studies internationally. There's a chap called Scott McLaughlin that I um, had a couple of Zoom calls with who has done one. He's, he's based in London, and he actually did a study on VIRS because one of the criticisms of VIRS is that anyone can make a report. Mm-hmm. So he, one of the um, sort of focuses of a study that he released last mm-hmm. year was that um you know who who's making the report how reliable mm-hmm. are the reports and they concluded that you know 
a, a significant portion of them are being made by a clinician. They can be considered reliable, and and VIRS also has a whole lot of sort of legislation around it, protecting it from mischief because um, you know you it's a it's an offence to make a false report. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never really thought about it in the context of New Zealand before. I said that just now, so I don't know whether we have the same the same thing we do have rules about what's considered a valid report yeah and to 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 be a valid so as i understand it medsafe can't rem- or calm or whoever's actually doing this they can't remove a report they can't yeah. delete it yeah. but they can make it invalid which means it can't be seen by the public okay so for a report to be valid the reporter needs to have given like their details yeah so they can be contacted that you have to have said what's happened to you what medicine you're reporting in regards to and you you need to be able to give some identifying um characteristics for the person that it's happened to like um sex and age so uh, so you know if something happened to my mother or my child i could report it yeah um the doctor who treated them might also report it. The vaccinator, if you know, if somebody hit the deck and you know went into anaphylactic shock, um, but it's a great system in a way because it sends it, it's a signal. If there's an issue, yes, it can yes. be picked up because yes. there'll yeah. be patterns, um, and it's like um, telling you as a regulator or as a medical professional what to be looking for and to have your eye out. And if you saw 10,000 cases of X after medicine Y, you'd say, gee, we better look into this. And if you didn't have that reporting system, you'd have no way of knowing. Excuse me, that's exactly right. I mean, um, because, you know, after vaccination, life goes on. Yes. And, you know, there are many other variables that could contribute to a birth event. So... This was going on, and what could we conclude? Because I've also heard, and you know, when I say heard, I've read on the interweb and mm. my probably on my Twitter and a tweet that when they've looked at it, they find these self reporting systems wildly under reporting adverse effects because people can be adversely affected and don't know that they could report it. Mm, mm, that's right. And and studies show, I think, that, you know, it's usually between 1% and 10% underreported. Yeah. I mean, I would um I would say, and I've heard I've heard somebody else who's, you know, very um, you know, spends a lot of time in this stuff that probably a higher, a higher um Bound the higher number is probably closer to the truth for this because people are aware that this yes. is a controversial product and they are yes. aware of a to a point of its sort of and you know novel novelty. Yeah. Um so going back to December, first of all, then I'll bring you forward. Going back to December, 64,000 plus adverse effects, some of them mild, some of them devastating. Uh what was your takeaway from that report? 
Well, I might have to sort of, so in that report, there were 64,815-ish, you know, reports, but there were 3,688 serious ones, okay, that were included. Now, at the bottom, if if you're looking at the report at a high level where it's sort of telling you all these different things, if you scroll right down to the bottom and you click on this link that says um, line listing, then you can see this enormous Excel file that gives you this thing called an assessment number, an AEFI number, um, which is the number that MedSafe gives the report when they've done their assessment on it. Right. And, okay. then, and then for that assessment number, the symptoms that were reported, the decade of life that the person was in, their sex, um, and a date. And I've never really got to the bottom of what that date is, whether it's the date that was reported or the date that the assessment was done or what. But anyway, now, because, so I'm in a bit of a unique position because at some point last year, I stumbled upon New, a New Zealander in Veers. And I was like, what? What's Veers? Oh, sorry. Veers is is the um, adverse reporting system in the US. Okay. So the same calm, you know, the, yeah. what, what we have here, it's the US equivalent. And I was like, what? Is this a New Zealander um, living in the US? What's, who are they? What's happening? <laughs> so I sort of uh, I looked into that and then discovered that there were about three and a half thousand entries for New Zealanders in VIAs. And when I started telling people that I knew that I thought might know why they were there, they'd just say to me, why are they there? And I haven't been able to sort of find anyone that can tell me why they're there. But what what they but I have I have sort of formed a bit of an a theory myself. But what that so these are people that are living in New Zealand, like I can recognise from the reports some more of the high-profile ones. Yeah, because they've been in the paper, say. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it gives you more detail than MedSafe. Wow. Has. So it gives you um, their age, you know, their age, their sex, the date they were injected the date, and then it, it sort of tells you, you get the full report of what the person has said when they've emailed or when they've phoned or whatever they've done. So you sort of understand when their symptoms first started, what they, you know, what they might have experienced and 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 when the major event happened, if a major event did happen. So it's a lot... Um, richer. Richer than what we get. So yeah. what we're picking up here is, yes, we've got the New Zealand reports, but 3,500 New Zealand reports are found in the American Adverse Reporting System. And in the American Adverse Reporting System, there's more detail um, about the case in terms of when its symptoms developed, et cetera, et cetera. And you were able to identify these three and a half thousand people in the 
American database because what they had a similar ID. How were you able to make the link? Uh, two ways. Um, there's this field called CDC split type. Yeah. And so that has this code NZ Pfizer. Got it. And also in the report, the text itself, they'll have this AEFIA number. Right. This need safe assessment. Yeah, you're the you're the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> I would love to meet you at a party because I'd be sitting. <laughs> you'd be having your Bacardi and Coke, and I'd be having an orange juice. Sick of it, and we would be nattering away in the corner, and I'd be at the best party of my entire life talking this stuff. Because normally I'd go to a party and I wouldn't know what to talk about, but I'd just sit there. Uh, interrogating you because this is amazing story. It's an astonishing story. So carry on. You found that. Then what? Did you stop? No. Um, well, so then it was. Well, the, so then I sort of had a bit of a unique window into looking at the reports and comparing to what MedSafe was reporting and some other things became apparent which are yet to be explained. To be fair, I don't know if anyone's asked them yet. I haven't. Um, But up until sort of January of 2022, so, so if if you have a um, a symptom, when MedSafe do their assessment, they have to, or someone. I, I, to be honest, I'm not clear on what the CALM and MedSafe demarcation is. So I use those. I tend to use those terms rather interchangeably, and I may not always be right. But when this assessment happens, um, your 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 symptoms are given a code. So they they have to be coded to these sort of 750-odd specific symptoms. So like if if you have a vaccine and then maybe three weeks later something happens and you're unable to walk, your code is gait disturbance. So there's a certain sort of structure around how these things can be reported. I got it. And and is that given a number? Yeah, yeah. So it's a word and then a number. So gate disturbance and then a number. Yeah. Uh, And that's how it will look in the line listing too. And that's found in the MedSafe reporting or the VIA's reporting? No, that's in the, I'm talking about MedSafe now. You you go and you look at one of these reports. So let's say I'm going to report 46. I go to the bottom, I look in the line listing and I click on that and I'll get an Excel file come up. This is where I'll see all of this. Got it. So, so I noticed that in between report 39 and 40, which was around sort of January, February of 2022, there had been a code for sudden death. And there were 33 sudden deaths reported in the or in the line listing for in report 39. When report 40 came out, those that that reference to sudden death um, was gone. And so, like, for example, I've got one here. Um, so, so one person 
their code was sudden death and then the number in report 39 and then report 40 they reported as a myocardial infarction and another number so they were recoded they're recoded yeah well sort of death is unmistakable yeah, but the, that that code was was they stopped using that code. Did they retrospectively change? Well, what happens is um, when they do a new report, the line listing is overwritten. Got it. So when you go back to say if I if the report forty six is issued, then if I went back to report thirty nine and I went down to the bottom of report 39 and clicked on it, I'd see the um, line listing for report 46. Wow. But some people <laughs> had been keeping copies of them as they went along. Some people were clever. Yeah. Yeah, so... Am I understanding you correctly that in January... Oh, no, I've got my dates wrong. But basically, we had 33 adverse effects reported in these report systems, sudden death. And then Sam, who was a sudden death, then was recorded not as a sudden death, but as myocarditis. Or, or I'll read down them. Cardiac arrest, pneumonia. Um, and the death bit was dropped off. Yeah. Dropped off or replaced, depending on. So they'd come alive? No, they just, they had. <laughs> I've got a bit um, sarcastic, yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. But wait, that, that, makes, that makes you feel a little queasy. Well, it. Uh, Thirty-three of them. They were They they were. So um, if I use the word deleted, I shouldn't. Okay. All I can say is, what is public facing and and what is not. Yes. But, so those thirty-three were recoded, but only twenty-two went back in in terms of being public facing. There are still eleven that didn't show up under that same assessment number. Now, it may well be that those assessment numbers were duplicate reports and that that's why they didn't go back in. But that I haven't had an answer to that question yet. I haven't asked it either, to be clear. But that's something that if you did, you would have a wee footnote explaining. Um, that's not really how, that's okay. not the level of detail that's sort of provided. I mean, they they, they say, you know, they, they actually give criteria for what can make a report invalid. Okay. And, and, and it's, to be valid, it has to have one patient identifier, which is, i.e. name, initial. But it was valid at one point, and then... Subsequently, if that was the case, they had to make it invalid. Well, the, it, it it may have had a duplicate somewhere Got in it. the system. Okay. Okay. And so perhaps 
that's why. But as far as I can see, when I look at the way, the reasons that you can make something invalid, the fact they would have to have been duplicates Got it. because they satisfy. I can look in VIAs. I and see. see what's in VIAs and see that they satisfy all the other criteria. I see, because they're still in VIAs. Yes. So we can't necessarily think the worst, but there's a question there about what's happened to the database, to the data. Yeah, there is a question. So so fast forward now to April, mid-April. Then the reporting stopped because they were oh, the, doing yeah, the weekly reports, monthly reports, and then yeah. that, and then the reporting changed its format. Well, we won't. Can can we just hold fire? Yes, please. Because so so then so I was sort of monitoring theirs, and something happened at the end of October that didn't get that got put into VIAs but wasn't captured by that last report 46 because it takes a bit of time mm-hmm. for reporting and processing. Um, but there was a a woman in New Zealand, according to the VIAs reports, that received a multivalent Pfizer product on the 30th of October. 2022 and she went in and I don't know what that multivalent product is all I know is that that's what was written in Olivia's report now she went into a coma according to her report within the hour and died four days later now her reports and VIAs it was never captured in report 46 um so when this I, I've been looking for it um you know that's why I've sort of been or one of the things I've been looking for so there's that but the other thing is somebody did an OIA on that was answered on the 12th of April of this year and so there's this number of criteria that have to, that that constitute a serious adverse event mm-hmm. So if you remember, I would have said that I, I said that in this report 46, they MedSafe was saying there were 3,688 serious adverse events in the in the last report they made. So in this OIA, it's this it's the criteria that there's a table, and the table says how many people got the Pfizer vaccine that had a medically significant event, were hospitalized have a disability, had a life-threatening event, a congenital defect or death. So when you add all those up, you get just shy of 14,000. And and those, those criteria are the definition of a serious adverse event. So what mm-hmm. I'm taking from this OIA is that between the reporting of last December and eight, the 12th of April, the serious adverse events went from 3,688 to about 13,800. Oh, my goodness. 
And that's just the serious one. So can we talk about this ratio oh, of 3,688 serious events and there were 64,815 events in total? Yes. And in December's report. Yes. 46. I'm with so you. So we've got just shy of 14,000 serious reports. Oh, my goodness. What does that mean for the reports in total? So so I've got those questions in my head, okay? I've got this lady that got the multivalent, and I don't know what it is. And then I've got this OIA that talks about just shy of 14,000 serious adverse event reports. And so what happened... And that, that's sort of what has caused me to get in touch with you, is what happened sort of earlier, a week or so ago, I think, was a, a, some more um, COVID-19 reporting was issued by MedSafe. But they've changed. They're no longer reporting in the COVID-specific reporting system that they set up. And they've put it in where they report on on all medicines generically. It's a system called SMARS. And what they've done there then is they've started afresh. So they haven't pulled over all of the reports. So they they reported 116 um, reports had been made in the intervening time. Yeah. Um, and that included six deaths. But we can no longer see the assessment number. We can no longer see all those. I mean, we, we had very little we could see before, but now we can see even less. But I'm I, I'm, I'm like, well, hang on. You can't say there was 3,688 serious adverse events reported in December and then say by OIA in April that it's gone up to just shy of 14,000 serious adverse events and then go and tell us that there's been 116 reports in total in the intervening time? No. The, but uh, One proviso, SMARS is reported quarterly three months in arrears. Got that. So what that means is what we're seeing reported this earlier this month was just for December. It went from the 30th of November, which was the cutoff date for the last report we had, until the end of December. So in in July, presumably, we're going to see another report that will capture January, February, March. Yeah. What do you include from all of that well i conclude that for whatever reason um there are a significant number 10,000 serious adverse events that have been reported with a uh, you know, with some somebody's been suspicious enough that it could be connected to take the time to report it, 
And there's 10,000 of them that have not yet sort of seen the light of day in New Zealand in terms of reporting to the public. It all, and of course, your suspicions, because you're talking to a person who would be dismissed by the Einsteins that write in our legacy media as a conspiracy theorist nut, i.e. me. But your suspicions are raised when at the same time the reports drop off, they're no longer coming out regularly, and that when they do come out, they're an entirely new format So that the pattern and analysis cannot be completed. Yes, and at the same time, we have got, on average, you know, one of our academics is telling us there's nine extra people Mm. dying a day. And And also, too, you know, I have a um, funny bit in my brain, I don't know, but for now all I want to do is call you Sally. <laughs> well, go ahead. <laughs> I don't mind. Call me what Gabby. you like. <laughs> You're a Sally. real talk, Rodney Hyde, on Rally to Check Radio, and the interviewer is right on the ball um, trying to remember the name of the lady he's interviewing for this past little while, and it's Kathy. Kathy, it's also... From what you've said, there's a suspicion that the adverse effects, the serious adverse effects, are accelerating. Because um, we well, had 3,000 up till November last year, and now they're saying there's 14,000 just shy. Well, they might not be accelerating. There were, the OIA that had this table in that sort of showed these numbers um, also flushed out a whole lot of emails that identified that they'd had a few um, IT hiccups. Okay. Because I'd also noticed, as had a number of other people, that there was this big chunk in the line listing. So you start out with AEFI, Five zeros one, EFIA sort of five zeros two, blah 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 blah, and 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 they they didn't all go, um, oh what's that word, sequentially, um, but but you got to thirteen thousand, and there was this massive jump of nearly seven thousand numbers that were missing, so. There were a few questions asked by people about about that and that through the OIA process. And what that flushed out was that they had a few issues um, and they identified that, you know, when you fill out a form um, on the interweb, Rodney? Yes. And you put in your credit card number or put in the expiry date or the date and you forget that. So it tells you you haven't done it right. Yeah. So their 
their form on the on the web wasn't letting people know they'd made a mistake. I turn. see. And so, but it would submit. It would it would look like it had submitted, but it would then go and sit somewhere outside of the system. And they were supposed to be getting error reports, and they weren't. So at some point, they found a back a significant backlog which they've said in these emails, is thousands. So it's the old story is that we are wavering between cock-up and conspiracy. Yes, to quote (laughs) Mark Lippin. And, um, of course, it could be a cocked-up conspiracy. Um, which is always a possibility. Yeah. Oh, what what, what gets me though is that these emails were all uh, sort of around August, September, where they discovered they had this problem. So I I did wonder whether this problem was behind the delay in reporting. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Because you could just imagine it, couldn't you? How, you know, everyone's sitting around scratching their heads going, oh, we're going to have to issue a report where the serious adverse events go from 3,688 yes. to, you know, 13,850. Yeah, and even even the New yeah. Zealand Herald might notice. Yeah. So, but, you know, the, the process, if you're not happy with the... Um, the what you get in an OIA is to escalate to the ombudsman mm-hmm. and spend but a year. What's happening is, oh, what, sorry, what'd you say? And spend a year there. Oh, at least. Yeah. At least. I mean, I spoke to someone the other day and I think they said 18 months to two years. Yeah. And, and so I've kind of like, well, you know what? We don't have to stand for this. If if they're going to issue an insulting report that tells us that they've they've got 116 reports in total, no, no, you haven't. We know you haven't. So I'm not going to bother going to the ombudsman because I haven't got two years to wait. I'm going to call mm. Rodney Hyde. Well, what a wonderful thing. And here we are on the <laughs> interweb talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Now, we've followed that through and I've given you the space and I'm loving this. Can I now take you back or have you got something more to add in sequence? Can I take you back to, you said you had a reason why New Zealand cases were appearing in the American system VIAs, giving Uh, you richer information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have a theory. Well, it's more than, I have a a conjecture. So, so there is this thing that I've printed out that I found on, you know what I'm going to say, the interweb, mm-hmm. which is the Code of Federal Regulations, Title 21. And it's the FDA um, Department of Health and Human Services, Subchapter D, Drugs for Human Use, Subpart B, Investigational New Drug Application. So it talks about, in those circumstances, requirements that if Pfizer or a Pfizer subsidiary becomes aware of 
a whole lot of things which are life-threatening, adverse event, a serious adverse event, or a serious suspected, suspected adverse event, then, then they have um, an obligation to report it to the FDA. I see. So they have an obligation to be scanning the world, not just the United States. Well, they don't have an obligation to scan, but if they're made um, aware, if they're made aware, so I suspect they're being made aware. Yeah. Um, by our and that makes sense, and that yeah. makes sense. Um. So, so have we? Have we? Have we, Kathy? Covered up to where your researchers have got to. Are you asking me? Is that enough for today? Um, because there's there's, I, I think we've we've sort of covered the main points. I mean, but but there's other things we could you know if we were at a party we might we, see the sun come up. Wow, I want to party with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. There's more there. So, yeah. you've come to Rodney Hyde. We're talking about it on the interweb. I've got to say that I'm impressed by you beyond all measure. Well, thank you, Rodney. Because same that would try most people's patience and questioning, I myself can get into things like this and have done in the past, but never to the detail and um, ability that you have brought to it. And I love it. I absolutely love it. And I know how lonely it must be because you're beavering away seeing through this entire apparatus with these questions, and like, I imagine the next door neighbour that you see when you push your cat outside isn't sort of up to having a discussion with you about it. No, and that you are being a bit obsessive with your family because you're disappearing onto the interweb, <laughs> and then it's like, well, they use that phrase glibly gaslit. But you are being gaslit in the sense that you're sort of seen to be a mad person and everyone that's sane and sensible and in authority, like Mr. Seymour, are saying, no, 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 you're a conspiracy theorist. There's nothing to see here. But there are huge questions at the very least to be asked about all of this stuff. Absolutely. And you're and you're onto it. I'm picturing if we get through this, Kathy. I had to pause. If yes. we get through this and we arrive in a sunny, uplit, beautiful place where we can be rational and debate things again, you'll be like Karen Silkwood and there'll be a movie because it's such a great storyline. I can see the movie. Well, and the movie is about this dogged housewife. <laughs> who sat at home with her three ducks on the wall, on the interweb, and not only that, pestered people because you pestered 
and had Zoom calls with experts and you track down John Gibson and you talk to medical authorities here and you piece together a picture of government incompetence, misfeasance. We don't know quite what, but it's an ex- this is this makes the Pentagon Papers and Watergate look like small stuff. <laughs> I, I mean that genuinely. I mean this is this is people's health and and there are questions about it. There's these databases, the level of incompetence, the lack of explanation, and here you are. It's extraordinary. Well, it's you know, you know, lots of people. You know, there's lots of people that are doing are. a lot. There are. But, but see, what what um, what it, what it is though, and I, I sort of came to this many years ago when someone was congratulating me for something I was doing, and I said, "Well, it's not. It's it's not something that you should think, you know, really favorably about me for because." You know, I gave money to something. I was like, it doesn't mean anything to me, really. I'm not sacrificing much. What am I sacrificing? Being able to make a new dress, buy a new dress, you know, like. So it's about finding the stuff with this that you can do because you've got the skills or you've got the, you know, to find Mm. your niche because that was sort of a big breakthrough for me was finding my niche. You know, I talked about reading all those science papers and things. I did that to convince myself. But once I convinced myself, I had to stop and I had to be quite disciplined with how I spent my time because I had to do the piece that I couldn't see anyone else doing and the piece that I could do well. Like, so, for example, at the moment, I mean, we haven't got on to because we could talk on and on and on and on. We haven't got on to talking about informed consent. So at the minute, I'm looking for somebody who's, you know, got graphic design skills because I want a graphic that you can actually put in front of people and show them how informed consent was actually legislated out of this process and, um and or and influenced out so it was impossible to get in New Zealand informed consent around these products so I say that a because anyone who is a graphic designer that would like to do that that would be awesome but also that's an example of if that person did it that would be huge it wouldn't take them long you know well that, that that's the point I'm trying to make is you can make an enormous contribution as long as you decide, and when I say you, I'm talking about everyone, as long as you decide where do your skills lie and how can you make the biggest impact for the least effort. And maybe mine is just having people on and asking questions. Of course. Of course it is. Um, You've been huge in this. uh, Well, graphic designer, please, text 2057 and offer up your skills, and I'll pass it on to Kathy. Now, um, here's what we need, people. This is a – the OIA is broken. The the Official Information Act system is broken because the only thing that's supplied is what government really wants you to have. And anything they don't want you to have, they don't give. And um, they have an army. And we then pay for them. So we're paying for an army, and the army is keeping stuff secret. 
And then they have the ombudsman, and we're paying for him or her, and there's more ombudsmen more than ever, and they've got more staff, and they're busy waging war on the departments, and they can't keep up, and so it's an 18-month even to get considered, and the departments know this, and so it's a joke. Um, So that doesn't work. But what does work is a single MP, because we need one single MP not to agree with us, not to say we're right, not to say, oh, my goodness, you know, I didn't realize this. All we need is a single MP to do their job on behalf of a constituent and ask for them some questions. And MPs can put in an unlimited number of written questions through Parliament to a minister that go to their departments for answer. And I used to know the process backwards, and I'd put in sometimes, I think famously, I put in 700 questions once. I put them in close to Christmas just because the department was annoying me. (laughs) Um, But And they have, I think, five working days to reply. And the questions come back through Parliament and the Speaker oversees the system and they're strict. They've got to be answered. There's nothing more significant than a government department being asked questions by Parliament. And, of course, there's nothing more derelict than them dodging the question, or they can't refuse. It's just not possible. It's just the number one thing for a department. So I can recall having constituents come to me with completely barking mad questions, but I'd put them in. And when they'd say to me, you know, ministers would come up, oh, I've got a stupid question from you, you know, what are you thinking? I said, no, i got a constituent come to see me and they wanted an answer. And I'm a good MP and so I put it in. So we need at least just one MP who's just prepared to put written questions in. And I could help you with how you frame them because I can remember standing orders in that. But all of these would be subject to parliamentary questions, which would be answered within a week. So what we need, ladies and gentlemen, is an MP. And we can even say that we will draft up the questions for them because there are a lot of questions here and there's a lot of New Zealanders who want to know the answers. And even if our government doesn't want to know the answers, even if your opposition doesn't want to know the answers, even if all MPs don't want to know the answers, it's enough that a constituent does. So I suspect that's where we go, Kathy. And um, I'm happy to work with you on that because this put together is makes you a little queasy because we've seen, we've seen, we don't have to rehash what we've been through in terms of manipulation. And now we're looking at hard data on the health and safety of New Zealanders. Mm. And through design or incompetence or conspiracy or whatever, it's not up to scratch. 
And so we on this show will pursue it. And we will try to get to the bottom of it and keep everyone up to speed. Because this is what sort of citizens' power is all about. And actually, if we band together, we can bring the skills together and we can bring the political pressure together. And um, I can imagine, for example, MedSafe appearing before the House Select Committee and having to answer live in Parliament, on camera, the questions yeah. that you and I would now have. When I had a look um, at the schedule of the Health Select Committee, mm-hmm. and I couldn't see anything happening or scheduled um, for the rest of the year. So um, that is a question I had for you. Yes, um, well, the health the health select committees are a wonderful, wonderful thing, and I've got great stories. They're extremely powerful if you have an MP that is prepared to use their power. Now, you need someone who sort of doesn't mind upsetting their party or their leader or their seniors. But like a health, a health, the health select committee, one MP could be sitting in the health select committee, and all they would say is, look, Mr. Chairman or Miss Chairman, I would either do it these days, probably him, her, pronoun, whatever it is, they would say, uh, I really think we should get MedSafe along here uh, because I've got some questions for them. And in the normal course of events, the chairperson would say, sure, right? If you want them, they'll come. Request gets sent. MedSafe has been summoned to Parliament. They have to appear and take questions. And what they can't answer on the spot, they have to answer in writing. And in the normal course of events, that would be unremarkable. I would do that every second week, get the IRD, and I've got some questions for the IRD. They're beginning to annoy me because they're not answering such and such. I will get them along to the select committee. No one would bat an eye. I say that in the past because I no longer understand our parliament or our politicians because, um, you know, their behaviour has been so bizarre and odd, you know, how the opposition and the government have worked together. So, but that can happen and it should happen and we should try to make it happen. You and I will get onto it. It's, It's been wonderful having you on the show i have enjoyed it it has been fun it has been illuminating um i would think our listeners will love it but we'll get feedback and we will see um i would like you to have you back for updates and we will figure out a way of getting parliament involved in this because we need some good questions, and we will get uh, Professor John Gibson on. I've just emailed him. Uh, he's been overseas, you know, yeah. he's had uh, sickness issues, because his stuff, uh, coldly and data-wise, is incredible. Mm. And um, so we'll get him on, and we will talk soon, Kathy. Can I thank you, Rodney, for all of that. Before we wind up, though, can I just say one more thing? Of course. 
anyone who has made an adverse event report to CALM, um, it would be really helpful if they could email them and ask them for the AEFIA number for their report. Okay. And the the email address is C-A-R-M-N-Z, so CARMNZ, at otago.ac.nz. Say that again. C-A-R-M-N-Z, CARMNZ, at otago.ac.nz. Perfect. Now, the, and when they have that, um, I haven't got her details here, but Linda Wharton, if they can send that to Linda Wharton at the Health Forum. Gosh, I normally have that in front of me, but you can find it. I'll put it in the yeah. show notes on the because at, Or, so if you've made a report, please ask them for it and give it to Linda. And this is the AEFIA number. When you made your report, you have will have been given an AEFI number. But in more cock-ups versus conspiracy, those two numbers will not be the same. Any, any um, sort of system with any sort of, you know, decent flow through, they would be the same, but they're not. Okay. So you have to email and ask them for the AEFIA number. And why why is getting that report useful? Well, because then I can build up a much clearer picture of who may have been left out. Got it. Right? And, And also, if you haven't made a report and you've sort of been thinking, oh, I've always wondered whether... The vaccine caused that. Still make one, because um, even if our authorities aren't going to look at this, we will, because I'm working with a team of international academics. So this information that's come out of VIAs for New Zealand has been put into a format that they can actually study and they can look at. Mm. And so they're currently sort of deciding on what their um, what their topic might be, what they might actually do with it. Um, so, you know, everybody... Um, this is true. Citizens, research, science, journalism, politics, uh, academia going on, isn't it? It's amazing. If, 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 if they're not doing it properly, we don't have to stand for it. No. And we can do it and then we can, you know, push them... To, to do their jobs. And I'm working on who should play you in the movie. <laughs> Just all the people that didn't get put into The Hobbit. <laughs> Lord of the Prince. <laughs> Just watch some of them. <laughs> Those that didn't make the cut for The Hobbit. That's actually a good way of looking at it. Um, Kathy, that's wonderful. I You with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, you're on Reality Check Radio. We've just had a wonderful long interview looking at databases of adverse events. And funnily enough, something that I never understood, I've now got an understanding of, and 
we've got some very, very serious questions, which we're going to be following up on, all thanks to the work of Kathy Jameson. What an amazing woman. What an amazing uh, tenacity. And please, if you've got anything wrong, if you've got anything to add, if you've got anything insights, please, and I'll send them on to Kathy too, please text me at 2057 uh, or email me at inbox at radicheck.radio. I think we've had, with this interview, a tour de force, world class. Thank you for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.